Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. As we enter this new year, our theme for the year is Catch the Wind. Our desire is that through this year, each of us would live completely reliant on the Holy Spirit and will follow him wherever he leads us. We have Christine share with us today on how we need to catch the wind to experience restoration. Restoration is an act of God and requires for us to be open to the Holy Spirit's work in the deepest and darkest places of our lives. Are you ready to be restored? Hi church, it's so good to share God's word with you today. Um it's a word that's very personal for me. It's something that God has been doing in my life for over a year now and so I'm very excited to share this word with you. Um as you know our series for this year is called Catch the Wind. It's the theme for this year. It's encouraging each of us to actually follow where the spirit leads, do as he tells us to do. Um it's going to be an exciting year. We can feel it in our bones. And as we get into today's topic, I just want to recap quickly what we've been looking at. We've been looking at how we must catch the wind to be taught by the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about catching the wind to experience genuine success and we looked at how we must catch the wind for deep fruitfulness. And today we're going to be looking at how we need to catch the wind for restoration. Okay, so I don't know what restoration sounds like to you, what it looks like to you, uh, but for me personally this week I had a, a demonstration of what it actually looks like or at least you know what it seems like on the surface of it. So our oldest um fell in school had a huge tear on his sports uniform pant. And so when he brought it to me to repair, um the first thing that I was figuring out to do was should I do a patchwork should we just stitch it straight i consulted with both the grandmoms and we finally decided it needs to be darned so for that what the tailor needs to do is he has to invert the pant you can't you absolutely can't do any patchwork on top because it's a big hole there um the tailor actually inverted the pants and then he completely darned over it covered the patch it looked as good as new We also had this week a bed that broke in our kids room and so when the carpenter comes to fix it knowing from how our carpenters work they don't look at a broken bed and just say okay well let's put some tape here let's just stick it with some putty and it's all sorted the first thing they do when something is broken is they turn and invert the woodwork they look at the damage from beneath and then they start to work on it and very similar to that restoration in each of us looks like that god does not do a touch up job he doesn't just you know patch us up you know with you know with some kind of bandaid and just kind of do a temporary fix up job god literally inverts us inside out and that's what the holy spirit does that's what in restoration looks like when the holy spirit mediates it he works from the inside out because the fruitfulness we talked about last week is a genuine fruitfulness only when work on the inside is happening the christian journey can no longer from 2023 onwards we need to be looking at going deeper with god so that he can do a deeper work in us so that the fruit we bear is longer term the success we have is real and true genuine success in the eyes of god so that when we are taught we are more discerning and we're growing in maturity so today's teaching is really going to be about each of us looking deeper within ourselves as i speak i would encourage you not to look at your spouse not to look at your child but to look at yourself because restoration is a deep deep task that the holy spirit mediates restoration very importantly is an act of god it's not an act of man fundamentally we can help rebuilding or restoring someone 
but the deeper processes involved is an act of God himself. How do we know this? Jeremiah 31 verse 25 says this, I'll refresh tired bodies, I'll restore tired souls. So even as we get into God's word today, I want to encourage you that you will allow God. Maybe you're feeling weary in your body, but you know that there's some deeper tiredness. Maybe you've been wounded physically, but you know there's wounding deeper. And I would encourage you to come to the one who can heal your soul because we need a restoration on a very deep level. When we catch the wind, today I want to remind us, when we catch the wind, restoration begins and it's a lifelong process. It's not a one-off thing. It's not a one-day thing. It's lifelong. So maybe you're thinking, okay, excellent. You know what? Today we're going to be learning about how we can restore our finances, that lost relationship, uh, you know, that that one uh, bit of uh, status that I lost. I'm going to get it all back. Well, I have, I'm sorry, I have to give you a statutory warning. I am not saying that's going to happen. It may happen. It could happen in, in with, with our God. Anything is possible. But today, I'm not talking about that kind of restoration. And so we're going to look at the text for today as Psalm 23. Okay, it's a beloved psalm of David. Uh, him being a shepherd, he wrote this psalm and he likened our God to a shepherd. And we're going to read it today. And we're going to understand what kind of restoration God has for each of us. Okay, looking at Psalm 23 from the ESV version. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such a beautiful psalm, we've all probably learned it by heart, but I wonder how many of us have made this our life's purpose, to know the shepherd, to allow him to lead us, to allow him to guide us, to allow him to protect us. It's such a powerful psalm and today we're going to be looking at it a little bit uh, in depth, just to understand what restoration for each of us is going to look like. The highlight that I want to leave with you is this, he says, um, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul. So when we talk about restoration, when, the, when we catch the wind for restoration, he wants to restore our soul. Our soul is our emotions, our will, our thoughts, our feelings. And he wants to restore us at that level, a level which we can't even put a finger on. You know, when we have uh, an anger issue or we're bitter about something, you can actually put your finger on it. You know, okay, this is what is triggering me. But the deeper roots of those emotions, why we think a certain way, why we have that particular desire, those are things that are not tangible. You can't control it. You can't calculate it. But God wants to restore us on that level. If you had to talk about it in terms of a Marvel Universe thing, it's at a quantum level. We cannot even imagine it. We cannot picture it. We cannot, you know, put our fingers on it. We can't feel it but it is real and he wants to restore us at that place. And so that's what restoration today is. This is what the restoration I'm going to be speaking about because I believe that while we, we serve a God who restores us so beautifully in so many amazing ways, he could restore relationships long lost. He could restore finances that you have foolishly let go of or even things that happen to you. He can do anything, but he first wants to go deep with you and me. Because we are the sheep of his pasture, he cares for us. And so I believe that when he restores our souls, something fundamentally shifts. 
A Christian whose soul is restored is a revolutionary. A Christian whose soul has been repaired by the master carpenter, by the shepherd of our soul, is a powerful force to reckon with. So if you and I have been Christians who've just kind of been so going through life, we've been doing the right things, saying the right things, but heart of us is a lot of stuff that's just being held in. I want to ask you today, will you be willing to allow the shepherd to overhaul your soul? For him to lay, for you to lay bare before him and say, this is who I am, God. No more am I going to give those excuses. I'm going to allow you to come in. I'm going to allow you to restructure the deepest parts of me. Geshe mentioned last week in his sermon on fruitfulness how we cannot manufacture fruit. We can't design it the way we want. What is inside will get born, and the Holy Spirit helps us bear fruit. And he said it. He said this interesting thing. He said it's a very deep work, and restoration goes deep. The deep work that we need for fruitfulness is actually restoration. So we're actually going in reverse. So if you want to be fruitful, like we learned last week, we need to undergo this the process of restoration. Now, restoration is not easy. As like I said, this is something I've been walking for about a year. Um, it's been a year with ups and downs, beautiful highs, so many great victories, and a lot of uh, valley moments. And of all of that, when I look at it, God was actually restoring things deep inside of me. And when He was restoring it, He it didn't just happen. I didn't have these aha moments, but it was a long drawn process where He revealed to me some of my. My deepest issues. He revealed me some of the deepest sins of my life, and he allowed me to bring it to him. I had to be honest with him. I had to say, "God, this is who I am, raw, unfiltered. This is who I am. I need help." And it was beautiful how he makes an exchange. When you give it to him, he exchanges that for something. When you hand your sorrow to him, he gives you joy. When you hand your brokenness to him, he gives you beauty from it. Nothing stays the same when it goes into the hands of God. Everything stays the same when it's in our hands. It stays broken. It stays unrepaired when it's with us. But the minute I make that exchange, this beautiful act of exchange happens, and restoration starts to bloom and blossom within us. So I'm going to first give you a bit of, um, you know, the hard reality of restoration. Restoration is hard. Why is it hard? Because it will require commitment on your part to actually face up to the darkest parts of your life. You're going to have to. You can no longer give excuses and say, "I'm sorry, I'm bitter because of what I went through in my childhood. I'm sorry, I'm going to be unforgiving because you don't know what I walked through. This is who I am. I am wired this way. Those excuses will have to stop because you'll need to come to him and say, 'God, I am so bitter, but I know that if I bring it to you, you'll do something with it.' I struggled with envy because that's how I saw my parents grow up, and so help me, Lord." It's beautiful because we will have to stop making excuses. So it's hard and beautiful at the same time. We will need to take ownership of the less than pretty parts of our lives when we ask for restoration. That's the first important thing that we should remember. It's hard. Second reason it's hard is you won't be appreciated by others when you start to change. For example, Christine one point oh was uh, probably you know gossiping, slandering, or a people pleaser. Christine restored two point oh. Is God pleasing? Filled with the Spirit, ready to shut her mouth, not have opinions on everything. People might not like that. They prefer the old version, which they could kind of, you know, get into a rut with. It's not easy because people cannot really tolerate the new and restored you. But will you still choose to do it because it brings you closer to the God of the universe, the God who created you? And another reason it's not easy is because the closer you get to God, 
his his word says that he is so holy that sin cannot stand in his presence so when we get closer and closer to him in communication in our quiet times in our meditative times you'll start finding that those things which have been in your innermost parts you know the the deep issues of hatred the deep things of unforgiveness can't really stay there anymore you have to get rid of it and it's beautiful because the closer we get to someone the more like them we become and so it's beautiful and it's hard because the closer you get to god he's going to confront some of the darkest things of your life but it's all for good that's why it's beautiful because it starts to change it's also hard because restoration is a very private task it's a private private work it happens in the dark places of our life it happens in stillness it happens in a quiet place so if you're thinking well i can have my public life on social media on on youtube or whatever and you know restoration is happening somewhere i'm guessing it doesn't work like that restoration is very intentional it is happening in the silences so will you be willing to tune out maybe take a break from social media maybe take a break from all those friends that you need to be around and then just get into the quiet place with god because it is in the quiet places that he restores us we need to be in quietness so these are some of the reasons why restoration is hard you need to know that it's not fun always it's not always easy but it's beautiful because god restores us to his original design for us you know the minute we are conceived david writes in in psalm um 139 and he writes it in psalm 51 we are conceived in sin from the time we are conceived there is sin in us just because of the fallen nature of the world but the beautiful thing is that when god restores us he's returning us to our original design the intended design to be in his image and that restorative work will take a lifetime even when we close our eyes in death we won't fully be there yet but we'll be way better than when we started out that's the beautiful thing about restoration he knows where you come from he knows your past he knows the struggle with your parents he knows the abuse he knows what you grew up around and yet he loves you too much to leave you in that place he wants to restore you restoration is part of his plan for you so the minute you come into the family of god the holy spirit just gets excited i think and he says i want to restore you i want to bring you back to that to that original design the baker had for you and so that's what we're going to be looking at so if you like me want to actually allow personal restoration to happen there are three things that i want to leave with you okay if you want personal restoration to happen i believe we need to have three things that we look at in this psalm the first thing is we need to acknowledge that jesus is the only shepherd we will ever need and the only shepherd we will ever have why do i say that we live in times when advice is available through um, you know a one minute motivational video somewhere we can get a guru to give us advice you can even just um, you know google and find someone who will quickly counsel you we have counselors on call we have all of that and while i have nothing against counselors while i have nothing against life coaches let me be very clear this is something that i have learned in close to 40 years no friend no spouse no offspring no parent no doctor no holistic health expert no remedy no meditative guide or guru no life coach no risk assessment specialist no wealth manager can be a shepherd because jesus the good shepherd does three very important things if you look at that passage let's look at that passage again Psalm 23 says he's my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures 
He leads me beside still waters, which means he nourishes my soul. When I'm thirsty, I'm hungering, he provides what I need. He says he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, which means where he leads me and guides me will be the best place for me. A risk assessment specialist could tell you this is what's going to happen next year, so invest wisely. But will he be able to feed your hunger and thirst? I highly doubt it. And going further down, he says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. The staff, the crook of the staff will pull a sheep out of a ditch they have fallen into. The rod is used to threaten wolves and bears that could come near them. Your spouse can maybe feed some hunger in you, but they cannot protect you from life's dangers. A child that you've been leaning on can maybe protect you to a certain extent, but they cannot guide you. They cannot feed you. If you think about it, anyone that we place in that position of a shepherd or a caretaker or someone who helps us or someone who walks with us will never fulfill the three basic needs that the shepherd fulfills for a sheep to nourish them, to guide them and to protect them. All of that is found in Jesus, our good shepherd. So if you are still having doubts about why you chose Jesus, let me tell you this very clearly. The deepest hungering of your heart and your soul, only Jesus will meet. The only guidance you will ever need, you're thinking you need guidance on your career journey or who you should marry, come to Jesus. The only one who can protect you, maybe people let you down, maybe people physically hurt you, emotionally hurt you, but the one who protects is Jesus. And so you can confidently believe that when you admit that he is, your, he is your shepherd, when you say, this is who he is, I want him, it changes the equation. Restoration begins to happen. Because I stop looking at others to feed me. I stop looking, because let's face it, all of us are vessels that have a certain capacity. I cannot pour out beyond what I have. A lot of times people look to pastors for everything. Can I encourage you to take your eyes off the pastor and put your eyes back on the shepherd? He is everything you will ever need. Some of you are looking to them for your guidance. Some of you are looking to friends to fill up that love void in your life. Can I encourage you? No one, not even a spouse that you love deeply can fill that void. Only Jesus can. So the first thing that we need to do is acknowledge Jesus as our personal shepherd. He's all we will ever need. All we will ever need. Coming to the second thing. We must rest in the Father's great love for us. I love what the Passion Translation says for Psalm 23 verse 2. It says, He offers a resting place for me in His luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. What a picture. Resting place for me in His luxurious love. Now I'll tell you why it's so important to rest in His love. If I didn't rest in his great unconditional love for me, when I walk through the valley of shadow of death, which I will surely do, all of us will. Let's not kid ourselves, we're all going to walk through different valleys, valleys of ill health, valleys of separation, valleys of loss and agony. If I am not resting in his luxurious love, I will begin to doubt God when I walk in that valley. I'll begin to ask him questions that I have no business asking. I will begin to turn away from him because I'll forget that he loves me so much. Resting in his luxurious love is all important for me when I walk through the valleys of life. 
He says, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I know you're with me. It is out of his great love that he doesn't abandon us. He walks with us. If you've been going through a season of hardship like no other, can I assure you that in that sick bed, he has been with you. In that ICU, he was with you. In that separation, in that courtroom, he was with you. You were never alone. And so when you start resting in his great love for you, the valley will start to make sense. That desert will make sense. The wilderness will begin to make sense. Another reason why we must rest in his great love for us is because what it says a few verses later, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He doesn't say, I'll wipe out your enemies. He doesn't say, I'll snuff them out. Although the rest of the Bible has references to that as well. Many times our enemies are all around us, breathing down our necks, looking at us across the room. But he's saying, I'll prepare a table for you. Your cup will overflow. And only when I rest in his love will I know that, Lord, I'm facing this enemy of fear right now. I'm facing this enemy of, of, um, of addiction. I'm facing that person who's spoken ill of me so many times, that person who hates me so privately, but publicly has got it all embellished. What do I do, Lord? It's when I rest in his love that I say, God, I know even in this season, I'm seated at a table. You're providing me all I need. I'm not alone. The enemies in our life, it'll start to make sense when I rest in his luxurious love. I will not begin to doubt him. I will not begin to doubt his purposes for me. I will not begin to doubt his intentions because I can rest in his luxurious love. It's very important that we rest and not fret because when I trust God, you love me, therefore you're allowing this very long wait. It's okay. Maybe you've been waiting for a child for a long time and you don't know why you're waiting so long. Can I just tell you that if you rest in his love for you, things will begin to calm down. The storm will cease. Maybe you won't get your answer quickly. Maybe that child is not going to come for a long time. But when you stay resting in his love, that will be sufficient. That will be all you need. The third thing I believe in how we actually experience personal restoration. First one was acknowledging that Jesus is the shepherd. Second thing, resting in the Father's love. And the third thing is experiencing the continued anointing of the Holy Spirit. The imagery here is beautiful. Psalm 23 verse 5 in the Passion, it says, You become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my cup overflows. Wow. This is a constant anointing of the Holy Spirit. If we don't ask him, if we don't leave our vessel open to his anointing, we will dry up. There will be no aroma of Christ that comes off us. And there have been seasons in my life when I didn't have much to give someone else because I was running dry myself. And I love that the Holy Spirit didn't leave me there. He would nudge me to get back to him. He'll say, come back. I need to fill you because there are people who are waiting who need more of me. I'm using you as the channel. You can't run dry. And I begin begun to understand what it means when Jesus says, he who thirsts, let him come to me. For out of me will flow rivers of living water. They don't run dry. You come to Jesus. I can attest to this firsthand. You will not run dry. On your lowest day, you'll have something to offer him. You'll have something to offer someone else. That comes 
when you have a constant anointing of the holy spirit not a one off thing not that one anointing you had in that camp 10 years back not that one anointing you had when someone laid their hands on you you have access to the anointing all the time all you have to do is say lord more of you less of me fill me up is beautiful because he says you anoint me with the fragrance of your holy spirit the holy spirit is so powerful and so beautiful that he won't leave you the same as you were before and i love that when he fills us when he fills us we no longer carry the stench of defeat we no longer carry the stench of envy or bitterness or rejection we begin to carry the aroma of hope we begin to carry this beautiful essence of love beyond our abilities we begin to carry this blessed peace that just radiates off us but for that we need to experience a continued anointing so i was recently reading this illustration about how um oil is used to anoint sheep so the shepherd actually takes oil and will pour it down the head of the sheep so that it trickles into the sheep's ear now what is the purpose of this a lot of times because these sheep lie down in pastures and things insects could lay maggots inside their ears or the ear canal and eventually if they hatch they could go into the brain and cause havoc eventually leading to insanity so sheep will actually go and beat their heads against a rock or something because of the maggots in the brain and they could actually die so periodically a shepherd okay in these rural terrains of of israel would actually anoint their head pour oil on the head so that the oil would wash away any insects within the ears etc without the holy spirit our lives could go haywire because let's face it okay even the most godly christian is human we are assaulted by people's abuse people's hate we are assaulted by separations we are we are confounded by situations sometimes that are too big for us to handle and if it's left unchecked if we don't allow the holy spirit to restore our soul we could go down a rabbit hole we could spiral out of control depression could hit us out of nowhere we would be flattened by the enemy and the beautiful thing is that the anointing of the holy spirit when it rests on us when we allow him to anoint us he cleans up the mind because that verse that beautiful verse says that he renews our mind by the he renews us by the transforming of our minds isn't that beautiful we cannot do this journey on earth without the power of the holy spirit if you are saying i need restoration i will do it with just the help of the father's love it won't be sufficient you need the father's love you need to be aware of his love you need to be very clear who your shepherd is and you have to make room for the holy spirit to come in because only then only then will restoration come full circle he is the agent of renewal he is the agent of restoration without him you can do nothing if you want to start changing the aroma on you maybe people have been avoiding you because you so you have such a defeatist mentality maybe people have been saying i can't deal with that person they're so jealous all of the time they're always envious of me they're never happy for me maybe people have been avoiding you maybe you're so goal oriented that you can't choose to you're not able to love people maybe the aroma that's been coming off you is more like the stench of death only the holy spirit can change that aroma only he can bring in the aroma of christ and so as we have looked so far personal restoration 
priority, top priority. We need to be on a journey this year, if anything else. I would urge each of us that we would go into a place of saying, God, I need restoration because there are some symptoms of a deeper problem. I don't know what it is. Would you open yourself up to deeper restoration? And then I came across this very interesting verse um, as I was preparing. And then it just, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to continue speaking on these lines. Okay. Psalm 51 verses 12 to 13. This is what it says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. It's very interesting. The progression of this verse. This is basically David writing this psalm after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And he's coming to God and saying, this is why I'm, I'm filthy. Cleanse me, purge me. All kinds of verbs and adjectives that he uses so beautifully to explain the, the state of his heart, the broken and contrite heart that he had. But in this verse, this is what stood out to me. When, you know, when you're looking for the word restoration, you find it in the most unusual places. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's still saved. He didn't lose his saved, state, saved status. But the joy that comes from that close relationship with God had been lost and he wanted it back. You know, it's an emotional thing. And it says that, and uphold me with a willing spirit. So it's all talking about an inner job. And then he says, then I will teach transgressors. This is the king of Israel. This is the king of a huge nation. He's coming to God saying, I first need restoration, Lord, before I can restore anyone else. And so the second part of, you know, catching the wind for restoration is actually being restored so that we can restore others. A lot of us believers, I believe, are trying to restore others without ourselves being restored. And it's a very dangerous place to be in because it will be so half-baked. We can cause more damage than good. We have this big passion. Oh, I want to do this. I want to set up this NGO. I want to help these people. But can I ask you something? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to first restore you? Because if you and I are not restored, any work we do without that place of restoration will cause more harm. I know a lot of us are already in spaces where we have an influence, where we are already doing a lot. But can I ask that more than doing things for Jesus, you will come to Jesus. You will be with him. Allow him to restore you. So that like David, you can say, restore me. Then I will help the transgressors. With the advent of social media and all these other platforms, a lot of us, you know, have nice things that we post or write about. And this, I, I, I feel convicted about it. For the past nine months or so, I couldn't write. I couldn't write anything to someone else because I felt like God was undoing things in me. I was not in a position to help anyone else. I was not in a position to teach anyone else because he was teaching me things in the quiet. And so it's okay if you take a pause for ministering to someone else because you need help yourself. It's okay. The strongest Christians are the ones who say, I need help, Jesus, help me. So I believe that the Holy Spirit will restore you to a place where you can confidently, with Jesus as your help, you can restore others. Because restoration is part of God's plan for the earth. Through Jesus, redemption came in and restoration is the next stage of that. And we are walking in times of restoration. So let's not kid ourselves. We have to be involved in the work of restoration on the earth. We have to be working in the areas of restoring uh, the orphans and the destitute and, and bringing in social justice. We need to be in places of lawmaking. We need to be doing all of that. Absolutely. But like I said, a re restored Christian 
a deeply restored Christian is a revolutionary. We are a force to reckon with. The enemy cannot put us down because God has done a deep work in us. Isaiah 58, 11 to 12 is one of the verses that drives my life's purpose. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. That is the mandate on our lives, each one of us. But the fundamental thing is, will I choose to be restored by the good shepherd? He is the shepherd of our soul. He wants to heal us. And when he restores us, we can restore others. We can rebuild generations. We can restore cities. We can restore streets for people to once again find joy and live to their fullest potential. So as I close this today's message, I just want to leave this with you. Even if you didn't get anything else, maybe I put you off when I said acknowledge Jesus as your soul shepherd. I don't know. But as I close, I just want to leave one verse with you, which has been resonating in my spirit for the past one week. John 10, 10. He says, the, the, sheep, the, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life in abundance. In different translations, it talks about an overflowing life. And the interesting thing about this is this, okay? For the longest time, I have lived as an unrestored Christian where my emotions didn't matter where I felt people were having worse off issues than mine. Mine are not such a big deal. Can I just tell you, those are lies. That's not true. Your emotions matter. Who you are behind closed doors matters. If you're battering your, your wife behind closed doors and are an elder at the church, there's a problem. If you've been cheating in your company and you're a deacon, that's a problem. If you've been having an extramarital affair, but you're leading worship in your church, that's a problem. Restoration has to go deep. Like I said, we need to be doing less for Jesus and being with Jesus more. That's when restoration happens. And God is calling us into a place where we'll confront the enemy's lies and say, no more. Lord, that, that damage, that trauma, it matters to you. So I'm bringing it to you. What that person said over me hurt me and broke me in more ways than one. I'm bringing it to you. I have lived confined by people's opinions of me, but God, I think it's starting to affect me. Lord, I've lived with the excuse that I can't do more for my family, so I've been looking outside of my marriage, but no more. I'm bringing it to you. The enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy, but he, our God, Jesus, came so that we would have life in abundance. He's calling us and saying, I'm your good shepherd. I will guide you. I will shepherd you. I will protect you. I will provide for you all you need. Try me out. And an abundant life is one where our soul prospers. I love that. I think it's the Apostle John who writes it. I think it's one of his epistles. May your soul prosper, he writes. And I never understood what that meant until this year when I had to see how the soul can potentially destroy a life. A healthy soul builds your life up. An unhealthy soul can destroy it. And like I've shared in the past, close to many burnouts, I had to realize soul care is important. And who better than to shepherd my soul than the chief shepherd himself? He comes to give you an abundant life. 
An abundant life is one where your soul prospers. And when your soul prospers, people around you thrive. You thrive. You have joy once again. You have a spring in your step. You have purpose. Even if you're in a season of weight, you're enjoying it because you're like, God, I've, I've got all of you. What more do I need? Maybe you're in a season of completely closed doors. You're okay, Lord, I'll sing in the hallway. That's what an abundant life looks like. That is what he promises you. So maybe you will not have a restoration of your finances. Maybe you don't have a restoration of relationships, but you will have a deep restoration that happens within you and it will change your life. It will change generations to come. It will change the lives of those who work with you or for you. It will change everything. It will change the way you serve God, maybe from a pulpit, maybe from your where you hold your instrument. Maybe when you just stand and usher, it will change everything. I promise you that. So these are the questions I want you to consider. Are you ready to live restored? Will you rest in your father's love for you? So that when you walk through that valley, when you're facing enemies, you know, God, there's a bigger purpose. This is not all that there is. Will you choose Jesus as your shepherd? Who will guide you, feed you, protect you in every situation, in every season. He will never leave you. And will you ask the Holy Spirit for his daily anointing? Not just a one-off thing. Not just that high when you go to a conference. Not that just high on that Sunday. Monday to Monday. Anointed all the time. That's what he wants to be with. That's how he wants to be with you. That's what he wants to do for you. And when you start feeling restoration within you, when you start to feel like things are changing, he'll start using you to restore others. Don't be in a rush to restore others. If you're not restored... You can take it slow. I'm not saying close yourself up in a closet or go into the desert and just sit there. No. Take it slow. Tell him, God, tell me when I'm ready to help others. I'll help them then. But until then, I need help. Restored Christians are revolutionaries. We are a force to reckon with. Remember that if you're living unrestored, it's time that changes. Can I pray for you? Father, I just thank you that you are in our midst. Thank you, Jesus, good shepherd that you are, how you have led us thus far. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great love towards us. We can't even understand that love, Lord. We don't have the capacity to understand it. But we thank you that your love has held us thus far. And we're so grateful to you. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in, that you would anoint us afresh. That, Lord, the anointing which begins today, right now, will not run dry, Lord. That you will keep anointing us with the aroma of Christ. I pray that, Lord, you will begin a deep work in each one of us. Can we just give him access? Can we just give him room and say, Lord, as you will, no more excuses for my bad behavior, no more excuses for my bad attitude. I'm opening myself up to you. Here I am, Lord. Restore me. Restore our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. Have an amazing week. May you live restored every single day of this year. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but the whole year. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed today's message and were blessed. If you liked what you heard and wanted to hear more messages from us, you could rate us and subscribe to our podcast channel. For more content from We Are Zion, or if you would like to get in touch with us, you can go to wearezion.in or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Most importantly, remember that whoever finds Jesus finds life.